Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa my friends today i would like to talk about the buddhist perspective of success on success so in case you think you are not successful maybe you are not you are <laughs> but you just don't know so that's why i would like to talk about this what the, what, what did the buddha mean with success. In this case, I'm going to talk about spiritual success. I would like to, to, de to dedicate this talk uh, to Sado Pandita. He's still alive. Um, but uh, I remember very well when I went to Burma for the, for the first time, Sado chose to give this talk on four wheels of success and uh, I didn't know whether I'm going to benefit from it. <laughs> That's what was my doubt. I wanted him, him to talk about Vipassana meditation. I could not get enough of Vipassana. So every time I was talking about being successful in this and that, but I found it very powerful as I started in the Buddhist temple in Uganda some of the things I'm going to talk about, I've really seen them happening practically in my life. I'll talk also about the four bases of success. we see how it goes. So, of course, uh, most people can define success as the achievement of something desired or planned or attempted. Maybe also you came here with that idea. I'm going to meditate and do a three-month retreat, and then after three-month retreat, I'll go back home, whether New York, well, wherever, and I'll be floating in the clouds with full of matter, and I'll go back, I'll have a smile, everybody I'll meet, I'll, have, I'll be very, very peaceful. Maybe that was your plan, basically. What did you get? <laughs> it's up to you. We cannot measure your, your success. What I'm going to speak of, the four wheels of success, is very actually simple, but it works actually. For me, it has worked in my life. And uh, it's also a continuation of Anne's talk, talk about the blessings, 38 blessings. And one of the blessings, actually the first stanza there, is that associate to, uh, to associate with the wise and not to associate with unwise. And, and that's a blessing, right? 
to you have to associate with the wise people and don't associate with unwise people so that is the highest blessing so this also actually not only a blessing but is also a will of, of success so there there are four wills one of them is to associate with wise and disassociate disassociate with unwise people so the second one is to live in a suitable place a suitable place and it's very very important for uh, success another one is to have done meritorious deeds in the past you can go to as many as you like past lives and all that but also in this present time there's a past to that and then the fourth will is establishing yourself in a right path a skillful path so I'll take one by one already Anne talked about associate with the wise and not to associate with unwise people the first time i heard this phrase he say who are the unwise people can you know who's unwise and who's wise it was a big question for me and uh, when i read the buddha's teaching it was very clear the distinction was very clear who's wise and who's unwise to the buddha a person who has skillful bodily behaviors verbal behaviors and thoughts skillful thoughts that's a wise person skillful in three ways one is your physical actions your physical behaviors your speech which is skillful and also your thoughts skillful thoughts so you are wise you are unwise if your actions your your physical behaviors are unskillful verbal behavior is unskillful and thoughts unskillful so that's unwise person so now how are we going to go around looking for people <laughs> who are wise and unwise we cannot judge i think buddha's teaching is not teaching us to really really make this judgment i told you last time uh, uh, the bumper sticker about non judgment day is near you remember <laughs> but i changed that non judgment day is now here now so you, we don't want to judge keep on judging people right to fit them into like clean slots like this you know but we can really get an idea when we associate with people uh, how they behave and for me i've put a footnote that i didn't see in the scripture yet at least to my knowledge i put a footnote to this phrase that if i have to associate with unwise people i do it out of compassion if you have to you do it out of compassion because if somebody is unwise and trained then is they say bringing a lot of suffering in your life then you know that that person is suffering and when a person is suffering what do you do with people who are suffering people who are sick you give them medicine and what's the medicine you have to give them is the medicine of dharma actually buddha's teaching is considered 
to be medicine. So you have to practice compassion if you have to associate with unwise people. We are not training you to live in a cocoon where you are living only with wise people and you live, create a world there outside you of unwise people. No, this is not the teaching meant to do. It's actually try to really find a good friend, a spiritual friend that can help you to practice the Dharma. I had a a chance to meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama when I was still in, in India, when I, before I became a monk. And I met him one time and, and I floated my idea of starting Buddhism in Africa. He told me, find good friends. That time, that was 1995, I was a lay person and I was, I was just come to the practice. I, 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 I didn't consider that to be very profound actually. But, it took me 10 years to realize what he was talking about. That means I had to practice and then get, got good friends and good teachers, all the wonderful monks, and wonderful friends. And it was 2004, I went even to Burma and I met Sado Lakana. Greg was talking about Sado Lakana. And he was beaming with meta. He told me, do you have a temple in Uganda? That time I was a monk. He told me, no, I don't have a temple. Oh, go and start a temple under the tree. <laughs> so it was full of metta. And uh, I went to Uganda, and at that time I had good friends, and uh, I started pretty much under the tree, my temple, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I had a tent, and uh, I, I kind of, my research and development, <laughs> I said, I got this tent from Thailand, and uh, it's actually leaking, and uh, it's not actually rainproof. And then I pinched my tent, and I had the mobile temple for the first time to, in the vocabulary of Buddhist world to have what we call a mobile temple. Talk about research and development. I brought that idea, actually. <laughs> And I st one time I, I, I was in my, my mobile temple at around three and it started raining. And I had all my diary and these papers. And, I mean, it was really getting wet. I had to leave my tent and go outside. And I waited until it stopped raining. And when I went back, it was all wet. I just meditated until morning. <laughs> and then um, in the morning, and I, I tried to remove my tent and kind of um, remove it from the ground and tie it on the tree like this, and it was hanging in the air. So people who pass there, they look at me and the way I was dressed, and uh, <laughs> say, what are you? I say, I'm a monk. And what do you do? I meditate. Oh, you levitate? How can you live in a tent? <laughs> How can you live in a tent which is not on the ground? <laughs> I said, no, I'm, I'm, I want to dry my tent because it's touching the ground. <laughs> so they thought, actually, I'm weird, actually. <laughs> and they still think like that, actually. <laughs> so then one time I was doing walking meditation, back and forth, back and forth. The people say, what, have you lost something? <laughs> I said, no, I'm doing walking meditation. 
everything is new i'm telling you everything new over there is for me what what keeps me going actually what keeps me going really actually with all kind of joy is uh, really the challenge and the interest that i'm faced when i'm introducing buddhism and meditation in uganda in africa in general it just keeps me going because it's amazing even the giving of three refugees one time i was giving the three refugees and uh, somebody i was i say take a refugee in the buddha dhamma and sangha and then i saw that person was frowning at me so what do you mean say what how do i become a buddhist is by i say you can take you, you become a buddhist by taking the three refugees then i kept on talking say no i don't have money to feed them <laughs> the, the, she thought that these are refugees from congo from rwanda <laughs> and that was a precondition to become a buddhist That's, <laughs> That's hard work, actually. <laughs> three, not one, three. <laughs> are those people fools? No, they are not. But they are really actually wise, but in their own ways. So they are wise in their own ways, right? Even when I tell them meditation, oh, medication. You, oh, sorry, sorry, what's wrong with you? I say, no. I meditate. Oh, medication. I said, please, meditation. What's, what's that? So all this is new, actually. So what keeps me going is really, really introducing something fresh on a continent. It just brings lots of joy. And some people got it, actually. There are some people have got it, finally, actually. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I really actually took to heart uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the advice of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Really, I went there to ask him for blessings to do this work in Africa. And he told me, really, get good friends. So it took me a while, actually, going through around the world and find good teachers and good friends. And uh, I think now it's getting better every time. And I have all my friends here. So... Now, uh, getting good friends is very, very important uh, in one way or the other. We can find scripture backup by really this association with the wise. One of them, there's a discourse where the Buddha said that a spiritual friend is actually one of the external conditions for the arising of the, factors of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's one of the conditions, the external conditions, the basis, the cause and basis for the arising of the seven factors of enlightenment. That's starting with mindfulness and investigation and energy, all that thing. I think you have already got, you know that already, the seven factors of enlightenment. So that's one reason. Another one is actually Venerable Ananda. He's the attendant of the Buddha going to the Buddha and ask, is having a spiritual friend uh, have a spiritual life? The Buddha said, oh, Ananda, don't say like that. The entire spiritual life, right? The entire spiritual life. Not only half. 
So having a, a spiritual friend, uh, good, good friendship, tantamounts to the entire spiritual path. So it's not only half. So you can see the importance of associating with excellent, not good only, but excellent friends. Whether you are here or after IMS, you really need a spiritual friend to continue your practice. In a way, your fellow yogis are spiritual friends. You've been associating with them. Even when maybe the next yogi to your, sitting next to you, maybe was not really meditating very well, turning and twisting, that's your best friend, actually. Because Teach, uh, that person teaches you what's going on in the mind. It's a mirror, really, to reflect you, to reflect your mind. So, when you go home, or if you go home, <laughs> <laughs> you can use a fresh spiritual friend. Hmm. You can stay if you want. <laughs> I did so, actually. When I did a three-month here, when I did a three month here, actually, I didn't know that I can stay in this environment. I was an African in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so then I, I wanted actually to stand meditate, but there was no way. <laughs> and then uh, there was a, I, I registered for the New Year retreat, and then then I I wanted to do that. And then there was advertisement for a, a job like a volunteer job in the front office. I went and attended that uh, briefing. I think I left halfway. I said, this is not, I can't stay here. <laughs> I had doubt. But somebody told me I was a Canadian. He said, you know those people like you actually to be here. He, <laughs> that, that my friend floated the idea that I had you in a staff room, SDR, which is an abbreviation. You know, I told you abbreviations here. I had somebody say, hey, you're a good yogi. <laughs> you can stay here. I don't remember exactly what he said. So that gave me courage, actually, to apply to come here. And when I came here, I blended in. So you could stay, actually, if you want. <laughs> there are many centers there. There's the next door there, over there. You come and stuff. There's no problem. Anyway, <laughs> I hope I can finish this talk. <laughs> I think I'm getting a little bit on off tangents, but anyway, it all feeds into the system. Spiritual friendship. I volunteer. <laughs> if you need one, it's very, very important to have a spiritual friend. The second will of success, uh, it's living in a suitable place. It's very, very important. You've been living here in, at IMS. It's been suitable. It's a very suitable place for the practice. So when you go home, try to make your place a suitable place. Place you can make an altar inside your house, your, your bedroom. You can put a cushion there. Have a place that you can go and practice. You have a big home, you have a living room. Try to create a space, a meditation room, so that that's a place suitable for you to practice. 
we don't expect of course to change your apartment and come and live in in temple or in meditation center but you can make your home a suitable place to practice create conditions of course when you go home uh, there's no bell ringer <laughs> that's unfortunate there's no timetable which you can you, you can go and look at all the time or any time <laughs> as if there's anything new <laughs> you're not going to have a timetable no bell ringer no nothing so you have to create a few things there in your suitable place. You might want to create a schedule, a small schedule, but be realistic. Be realistic when you make your schedule to meditate. If you've been meditating for four hours, three hours, I suggest that you actually start in a very humble way and you do it for minimum two weeks. Minimum two weeks and keep the momentum going. Finding time which is like maybe 30 minutes and keep on building, building, building on it is much better than you meditate for four hours that you've been sitting at IMS or one hour, 45, one hour, okay. And then you go home, it starts 30 minutes, then 10 minutes, then five minutes, two minutes, one minute, one second, and you, you say, you pet the Buddha statue. Ciao, ciao. You just, that's become your practice. Ciao. Every time you have no time to practice, but you say ciao to the Buddha. <laughs> that become your daily practice. You don't want that to happen, actually. So you need actually to really be very realistic, right? When you go home, be very realistic and climb other than starting in high gear and drop the whole thing. For me, that's what I did when I learned yoga. Uh, I learned, I learned yoga in, in Himalayas way back in 1990. And then I was struggling to keep the practice of yoga, all those asanas. And then I read in a book, that, you know, if you have no time, do the Surya Namaste, the solution of the sun. And then what I did is that every day I would do that, those exercises. Then January I would do one, one exercise, then February to March, I'll increase to three. And then I'm telling you, when I don't do it, I feel there's something missing. So you want to create a suitable place to practice and also a suitable rhythm, right? So that you find your own rhythm and it continues. So it's the everydayness, the frequency of your practice that's going to matter a lot other than a long haul long stretch and you cannot keep to your practice so anyway living uh, if you live in a place where you can practice generosity uh, ethical conduct meditation that's a good place that's a suitable place even when you are doing business actually uh, also you have to always to look for a suitable place right? so location location and location is very important <laughs> so Locate yourself. Find a good place in your house where you can find a, a good location to continue your practice. Actually, in Hindu tradition, what's amazing is also Buddhist homes. When I lived in, in Asia for a long time, it's amazing whenever you go to their house, there's a place. In Hindu tradition and Buddhist tradition, you go to their homes, they always have a, a temple, small temple actually, 
the Buddha statue, uh, they will put the flowers. Flowers is a symbol of impermanence, right? Flowers symbolize impermanence. You put them there, and then after a while, they wither. And that teaches the anicca, love impermanence. So this teaching is very, very alive. They remind you of impermanence. Otherwise, uh, it will be abstract for you in their life to think about that things are changing. But if you have flowers, you can put them on your altar right, to remind you of impermanence. You can put also things like uh, incense. Incense uh, reminds us of the virtue, cultivating virtue. But when you light the incense, the, the fragrance that comes from that incense goes unhindered everywhere. So when we practice five precepts, also that reminds us that we have that kind of perfume natural perfume. So these are just symbols that reminds us of the practice in our suitable place. We can put also the candles. Candles uh, also symbolize wisdom. The candles, when we light them, they bring some light and that's why you see them here. It's the symbol for wisdom. The Buddha statue is a symbol of enlightenment. Actually, the symbol of Buddhism is the Noble Eightfold Path, not the Buddha statue. So don't shy away from getting one Buddha statue or two. Anyway, they're becoming popular now. People use, use them as decoration because they look so peaceful. Actually, this Buddha statue is so beautiful because it has this hand touching the ground, uh, this mudra touching the earth as the witness, to bear witness as the Mara was challenging the Buddha. Right? So this is very, very important. You can also do that. Let this space where I've created bear witness. I'm going to keep on my practice. I'm not giving up my practice. So you can touch the ground like that also. So there's a lot to say about suitable place uh, to practice. And uh, I think uh, that might be enough for now. So let's go to the third wheel. This is like wheels of the car. Wheel of the car. They just keep on rolling if they are four all together. They have to be all four together, keep on roaring. So the third wheel is called having done meritorious deeds in the past. Having done hmm, meritorious deeds in the past. That's a blessing, but also is a wheel. It's one of the wheels of success. We, actually, you are here at IMS because you have done good things in the past. Otherwise, you will not be here. So, merit, merits, the word is punya, it's a synonym for also happiness, actually. Right? So, because at one time, T, you must have done meditation or learn about Buddhism or nobody for path, and say, this makes sense. Then you come here. You didn't show up here accidental, actually. Who came by accident? Maybe some, maybe it might have come here because maybe the package to vacation to Mexico is so expensive and you just showed up here. I don't know. But I believe that all of you really showed up here out of faith. That you re and faith is one of the beautiful uh, factors, I mean, mental factors, sobana. Sobana means beautiful, and faith is one of them. So you came out of faith. That means you have done really good things. You've done good things in the past by cultivating faith that brought you here. So 
you keep the same thing when you have acquired a lot of, uh, um, let's say, happiness. Because the, the word merit confuses many people. <laughs> so, okay, you've accumulated a lot of happiness. Don't leave it at IMS. That's what I'm, I'm saying. <laughs> when you go home, keep on doing it. You'll be successful in a way that you're not going to leave your practice here. You are going to continue developing it. Keep on developing. Keep those wheels running, right? Don't have flat tire. Flat tire. <laughs> so keep feeding that practice of continuing acquiring happiness by practicing uh, sila, ethical conduct, by practicing generosity. Even a smile can go a mile. If there's nothing to give, just smile. That's why I do lots of smiling. No, there's not much I can give, actually, as a monk. <laughs> Even when I give something, people don't want to take <laughs> No bant is... <laughs> I want you to take it. I said, no, take it. This is my opportunity to practice the generosity. I give many books, actually, and the net effect, I get so many books. Many, many books. That's, the, I think, the, the love karma. That's how it works. So really, get into the practice of, uh, of really generating happiness through Brahma Viharas, Metta Loving Kindness, wherever you are going. Say, may, may, may I be well up and peaceful. May all beings be well up and peaceful. Then you are cultivating happiness, and then you are going to be uh, successful in that way. There is a quality control, quality control of your happiness is called kusala. The Pali word is called kusala, which means skillful. So you have to really have what is, have cultivate skillful mind states. Skillful mind states. Last time I talked about the difference between skillful and unskillful. So uh, if, let's say when you practice generosity, practice it with, with this kind of skillful mind state of mind. Because most people, uh, when they give something, they're actually not giving, really. I told you last time, they're just abandoning. So before you give, cultivate what we call chetana, volition. Oh, I'm going to give. I feel very happy. I'm going to give something. Then you keep on thinking along, uh, thinking along those lines. Then when you are giving, continue thinking, reflecting on your generosity. You are giving. When you do that, you'll be happy. And after giving, also try to reflect along those lines. Oh, I gave Bante chocolate. I'm so happy. So when you come to meditate, don't start with the breath. Start with the happiness that you felt of having given a, your something to somebody. Something, something. Even something small. That's what I do when I go for arms round. <laughs> I come with my food in Sri Lanka. Then I start giving bananas to fellow monks. I give this and I give this and I give. And then when I go to meditate, I just think, ah, now this monk is now eating this banana. <laughs> banana is a big thing actually in Africa, at least in Uganda. I don't know, maybe it's not here. That's why I'm giving it. I'm using this example because banana is our step of food in Uganda actually. So giving a banana is a, a big thing for me actually. So when I go for uh, arms around when I'm in Sri Lanka. So do something that creates happiness and then reflect on it and continue cultivating it in your day life.
right? So you can see there's a lot of things to do beyond mindfulness. Beyond mindfulness, there's more things to do. And then you do them with mindfulness. You do all those things with mindfulness. Here's a list of wholesome things that you can do that will make you happy. First one, generosity. But generosity also means receiving. Because I've seen many people think that being generous is just giving. But also you have to be a good receiver. Yes. Many times I've given somebody something and say, Oh, you mean you don't like it? I said, no, I, I'm giving it because I like it. What do you mean I don't like it? So that tendency of thinking that you are not worth of receiving is more of a, a kind of strong sense of self that I have everything. Give others opportunity to give. That's your generosity. If you give others opportunity to give. So in other words, be a good receiver and be a good giver. It works both ways. So generosity is one of them. Morality, ethical conduct, five precepts right there. Meditation is wholesome, is on the list of skillful actions. Sharing merit with others. That means when you do something meritorious, meditation, ethical conduct, and generosity, you sit down and say, oh, I want to share all the happiness with all beings. Even this is a big, big thing actually in, in Buddhist countries, sharing merits. Those who have been in Asia, wow. If when somebody donates food, they all share the merit and they ring a bell. May all our merits be shared by all beings. I'm telling you, it's so touching. It's a very touching moment when people share this, their spiritual achievement. In a way, it's part of mudita, appreciative joy actually. And also another thing is rejoicing in others' merits. That removes this kind of envy and jealousy. When, like, when somebody does something, let's say you, you see a meditator, wow, he's meditating like amazing. It's just wonderful. Then you say, instead of saying, I, I think I should meditate like that. Uh, why is this yogi actually so stiff like this? Am I doing it wrong or right? or What's going on? So you, you just sit and say, wow, I, I really enjoy, I rejoice in your meditation. Keep going, brother. Keep going. <laughs> so you rejoice. You rejoice in somebody's uh, um, merits. Then service to humanity, that's of course very common, very clear. And then helping elderly people, the sick. Uh, when you're at Walmart or in a shopping center, you see somebody who cannot really uh, get something. You can always help people. That's also very skillful. Teaching Dharma is another way, skillful ways. Listening to the Dharma. All of you here, even if you have been not, if you think your practice has not been going very well, at least you've been listening to these Dharma talks, you've acquired a lot of skillful states of mind by just listening to the Dharma. And then the tenth one is right view. This is a big list of what is skillful. Right. This is on the other side of unskillful is killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, lying, telling falsehood, of course, malicious talk, harsh speech, gossip, intense greed, hatred, and wrong views. That's on the list of unskillful actions. Uh, unskillful states. So now you know the distinction between what's skillful and unskillful. 
So let's go to the fourth wheel. Actually, the fourth wheel is the last one, but all of them, they run together. One, one wheel supports the other, supports the other. They're all actually uh, supportive of each other. So the fourth wheel is called establish. You establish oneself in a proper path. You establish oneself in a proper path. That path is called the Noble Eightfold Path. All of you know this, I think up to now. You have been listening to these Dharma talks. Somebody must have talked about the Noble Eightfold Path. <laughs> so make sure that you put it, that Noble Eightfold Path either on a fridge or somewhere or in a steering, wherever there's a place where you can see. Let it be a reminder that this is the path that you need to follow if you want to, uh, create, uh, to, to be very su successful in this path. That's where you find the metta, you find compassion, you find everything that we've talked about. It's whatever we have talked about in this retreat, it's either directly or indirectly connected to the Noble Eightfold Path. So that's the feel, the, the, that will yeah, is very, very important because once when you establish yourself in a, a right path, then you find good friends. You find good friends who want to also to follow the Noble Eightfold Path that leads to knowledge, higher knowledge, peace, happiness, and fun awakening. So you always, when you talk with somebody and say, what are you doing? Ah, I'm practicing the Noble Eightfold Path. Oh, what's that? Oh, this right speech, right, right action, right do. Then, oh, I, I'd like to meet you again. Here's my phone number. And then, <laughs> then you make a meeting, and then after that, you can sit and meditate. Actually, for me, that's how I've made friends. That's how people invite me to teach. <laughs> Actually, people invite me in their home because I talked about the Noble Eightfold Path, irrespective of their beliefs actually. People invite me in Uganda to in, in places like Hindu places and I talk about this because it, it's just everybody can practice the Noble Eightfold Path. It's very clear. It's a path which can lead to happiness and all people want to have happiness. The Buddha talked about the Noble Eightfold Path that leads to enlightenment and I think I like to quote one person is a philosopher is called Confucius in China. Uh, is Confucius, who came actually at, at the same time about about the same time when the Buddha also arose in the 16th century. This is how he put it about establishing oneself in the right path. He's, he said like this: To put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. To put the nation in order we must first put the family in order. To put the family in order, we must first cultivate our personal life. And to cultivate our personal life, we must first set our hearts right. Our hearts and mind, we should set them on the right path. And this is Confucius, actually. For me, it's like similar, what the Buddha talks about, how to establish oneself in the right path. Then you can change the world. Most people start the other way around. They want to change the, 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 they want to change the society. They want to change the family. 
You should meditate. You should be a good meditator. You know when you come here from IMS and you, are all, you know the Noble Eightfold Path and how to be happy and you go home and people are not mindful and all that. Then you start to change them. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you actually, if you want to change people, try to embody the teaching of the Buddha. Then people are going to learn through your actions. That's what I do in Uganda. I don't give impressive Dhamma summons, actually. Really, really, in, especially in, in, in a country where people don't know so much about Buddhism. I don't talk even about non-self. I just try to be good. That's what I'm trying. But through actions. I, when people come, I give them something and I practice generosity. Then, guess what? One time I got a banana from the neighbors. <laughs> This person actually, I don't know, I don't have enough time. This person was our neighbor who actually spread rumors that Buddhist, Buddhist temple, because the only one temple in Uganda, that those Buddhist people, they kidnap kids. They, those Buddhist people, they are very cruel. The rumor went around, around the village and all this. Then... The president of Uganda came to visit because um, the same village where I live, that's where they have a vice president near the Lake Victoria. So then the soldiers came and looked for the baby. They could not find the baby. They broke our temple. They looked for the baby. They failed to find the baby. Now it occurred to me the thought that our Buddha statue was a baby all the time. All the time, the people thought that the Buddha statue in my temple, it's a baby. Because they never came close to it. Every time, they were very far away from it. And I got this Buddha statue from Sri Lanka. It's not like this, actually. It's the other one, actually, it's really like a big doll. That's why kids were saying, oh, this is a big doll when I was taking it to the temple. They said, oh, please, don't take the big doll. We want to see a doll. I said, no. And I, I took it, but then the villagers were so afraid. What, what, what was there? You know, because they are used so much to the church with Jesus Christ with the cross. When they came, they could not say anything. They just saw something inside, and then they thought it's a baby. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what in the mind come. Mind come, can come with so many things. I think we meditators, we have started uh, to believe that you don't have to be believe in every thought. Every, each thought, you don't have to believe. If you go out of this retreat learning that you don't have to believe in every thought you think, I think you would have done a service to yourself. I've seen it happening again and again. One time, I, uh, this Buddha statue was giving me a lot of trouble. Everybody was saying, why the Buddha has lipstick? Why the Buddha has this? Because that's the Buddha statue from Sri Lanka. Uh, it has like, these colors. I don't know if you have seen it. So every African was asking me, why is the Buddha a female? I said, what's wrong with being a female? So I said, let's get rid of this Buddha statue. <laughs> I put one in my room. I put my room. And then I, we had to make African Buddha statue the lips and the, uh, so now ever since I made that Buddha statue and even I named it Peace Buddha 
It's called Peace Buddha. In my language, it's called Mirembe, Peace. And then nobody has ever had any question. They have never asked me a question about the Buddha. Because it looked like African is not the baby. <laughs> Though when I took a picture, I took a picture uh, of the Buddha statue in Uganda. It's actually African Buddha statue. And I sent it to my friend Angela in England. He's a, uh, he's a good friend of mine. He said, Bante, how can you sit still like that? This is a doctor <laughs> in England. As I met her in actually Dharamsala. And I took a, a picture of my temple. And then I said, I built a temple in Uganda. And then she sent me a letter, Bante, how can you still sit like a rock, actually? Like it's so still. I said, this is a Buddha statue. <laughs> Don't have to believe everything you think. Okay, let's go to the four bases of success. We, we, we've just gotten past the four wheels of success. Let's go to the bases of success. If you want to be successful, this is like quality controller. Quality control, you know. First one, the Pali word is called idipada. Idi, idi is like, idi means a... Uh, I-D-D-H-I, it's like translated success or accomplishments. So if you want to be successful, whether in practice ethical conduct, meditation, whatever spiritual practice, even other kind of endeavors, you have to have these four things. Right? The first is chanda. The Pali word is called chanda. In a Buddhist psychology, it means wish to do. This is actually a mental factor which is very, very important. Without that wish to do something, it's very difficult to really even start anything, actually. There must be that mental state. And you'll be happy to know, according to my research and development, that's 2%. 2.5, uh, no, 2.7% aids to awakening. So we are just not talking like mambo jumbo about this kind of wishing and wishing. No, this is actually one of the factors, the 37 factors of AIDS to awakening. So take it seriously through aspirations, through uh, wish. Uh, it's like wishing power. Really have a wish, but not useless wishes. It should be actually really something uh, concrete that you wish to attain weekend, uh, an uh, awakening. I mean, you just wish to have an ice cream. It's just too simple. Right? I wish to have an ice cream. That's it's, it can be a passing thought. There's no problem. But in your life, try to really go for the big things. Uh, okay, I wish to attain awakening. And everything, uh, everything that you do, let it be in service of that wish. Right? So it's not uh, expectations, it's just wish, wish to do. It's not desire. Most people actually translate this word chanda as desire. But I think when you go to Pali, they miss the mark because then they, we are going to confuse desire with the other kinds of desire because we have other desires like called kamachanda. Kamachanda. Kama means sense. Chanda, then then uh, people say, oh, this is uh, also, chanda is also 
same like sense desires. People then they get mixed up. So when we use this word with other words, let's say kamachanda, then that's something else. Kamachanda, you, you know, I, I would like to translate kamachanda as approval of the sense pleasures. You approve. We use this word actually in the monastery. When we are going to attend some of the, our transactions, uh, monastic transactions, we have some meetings. Sometimes a monk, if doesn't go, another monk will come. Oh, can we have your approval so that we can go ahead with the meeting? Then they always request us, can you give us your chanda? In other words, approval. So for me, actually, the word approval of the sense pleasures really actually goes to the real meaning of what goes on when you have sense desire. We approve. We approve to have that nice chocolate. We approve to have this and that. So in other words, sense desire leave, lead us. Right? So that's a different thing. Chanda is one thing, and Kama Chanda is different. There's also Dhamma Chanda, which is actually... Uh, desire to attain final liberation, uh, desire to practice meditation, that's another kind of desire. So we shouldn't mix what's desire um, for sense pleasures and also chanda, which is wish to do. It's very important. In other words, desire to be desireful is more of the desire that Buddha talks about that gets in a way. Desire to have more desires, that gets in a way to awakening. Right? That could be what we call kamachanda, desire to have more desires, desire to be desireful. So now desire to be desireless, desire to be desireless, that's okay as we are practicing, but as we attain stages of awakening, we have also to let go that one. So there's a distinction here. Desire to be desireful is not uh, skillful, right? That's like kamachanda getting hooked, clinging to sense desire. That's what brings suffering. So that's one kind of desire, and that's what we want to practice and deal with it accordingly. Desire, Dhamma Chanda, is desire to practice Dhamma. That means I don't want even to use desire to practice Dhamma. Wish to practice the Dhamma. That's the best way I think we can put it. So that's okay. And we come to practice meditation. But as we practice meditation and attain different stages of awakening, we have also to let go that because whether it's Dhamma Chanda or Kama Chanda, uh, still we cannot reach the final awakening. And that's why in the Metta Sutta, they say that the last advantage of practicing Metta, the Buddha said that if you don't attain the final liberation, you go to Brahma, Brahma world. Why you cannot, if you don't attend the final enlightenment, go to the Brahma world? The reason there, even if you still have some attachment left, you go to Brahma world. So that's very important when you read that sutta. So then, that's the first base of success. You must have a seed. So you have to start somewhere. And it's okay, because for me, I was in Washington, D.C., somebody said, oh, you Buddhist, you are against desire and all that. What's wrong with desires? What's wrong with desires? You know? So it's actually a mistake, people really mistaking this quality. Do you remember? It's part of the, your nutrition, 2.5. Right? 
you don't have that, I don't know how you can arouse energy. I don't know how you can continue your practice. So the next one is chitta, that's mind. When one has a wish, uh, one has to keep on thinking about it. It's more of willpower. Have a strong willpower to continue your practice. Willpower. Uh, chitta means mind, but other people say thoughts. So let's say if you you go, you leave IMS, you have many reminders, right? Many reminders, bumper stickers, like it's better with meta. That's kind of cool, actually. It's better with meta. That can work. I like one which is in a car there. It's called, my next car is a Zabton or something like that. Next car is a Zabton. That's really cool also. I like it. Actually, that helps you to keep on thinking. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. This was falling off. <laughs> so, okay. Have so many reminders to think about your practice. This is one of the best of success because if you have a wish and you don't keep on thinking about it, it's like be, being in a, a rocking chair. Right? You keep on rocking like this, but you're in the same place. Because you have a wish, but that's not enough. You just have to keep on watering the seed for that wish. Keep on watering it. That's how you're going to be successful. How I got this practice of the thought is when I was on staff here the first time. I was a lay person. And living in the center was amazing. Actually, it nurtures you a lot. As you always, you, are, you, are, you see yogis practicing, walking slowly, and then they remind you of the practice. Like when I used to work in the front office, and then you get out, and then you find a slow-walking yogi. Uh, so then you really slow down. So it was like a reminder, always. It was always a reminder. And what also helped me actually to really practice, that was here in the meditation center. It's very easy actually to get really hooked up with so many things going on around IMS, movie, this and that. So, so as a staff member, I wasn't a monk. So it's very, very easy to really get lost and too many things. So then you don't practice. Though you are living in a meditation center here, you don't practice. So what I did is to put a cushion. I was li I, my room was up there. I put a cushion next to my bed. Right? The zabton, I put it there. So that every time I, I would go to my bed, I had to step on a cushion first. And then go there. And then, then I found a lot of dust one day on my cushion. <laughs> I said, maybe I haven't been doing some meditation. I felt terrible actually because I'm here I am in a meditation center and I'm not meditating. So I said, no, I have to bring it a little bit close. So I really brought it very close to my bed so that every time I go, I would step on it and then go in my bed. And when I wake up, that's the first thing I step on. I say, okay, now I have to keep on meditating. So then I had to carve out time and I, I, I meditate. So maybe a good reminder is when you go home, if you want to be successful in your practice, put a cushion next to you. Just a thought. You, have, you don't have. I'm just bubbling out thoughts. <laughs> I hope it helps, but it helped me actually. And actually, when I went to Bhavana Society, that's also what happened. I went to a monastery and I used to practice in a Burmese tradition where you meditate 
literally probably. So really, when I went to the Bhavana Society, this monk, Bhante Gunaratana, is amazing. But he has his own perspective. What he did is that every day is practice. Every action is practice. So in other words, you have to integrate the entire life to be your practice. So when, the first time I went there, after meditation, he said, have you got a job to do? I said, <laughs> I said, I came here to meditate, not to do jobs. That was my inner voice there. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> because I was at Tatagata Meditation Center with the Burmese, I wanted to water plants. And then I went to my teacher. I said, I would like to water plants. He said, mm, why do you want to water plants? I said, they are dry. He said, go meditate. So here is the different versions of these great teachers. One doesn't even want me to water plants <laughs> and keep on meditating. And one say, hey, where's your job? I mean, I learn a lot from Bhante Gunaratana that every action is your meditation. Eating, working, and all that. So I have this perspective of practice where actually your daily practice is your spiritual practice and your spiritual practice is pretty much your mundane life. So don't create division between your daily life and spiritual life. If you do create division, there's going to be this crash and that's in what we call dukkha in, in, in Pali. <laughs> Suffering, <laughs> conflict, always spiritual life. Oh, yeah, uh, two hours I'll have a spiritual life and the rest of the day I'm just going to go haywire. <laughs> no, you have to blend it. So let those two lives blend it. You, find a way how to do it. I'm telling you, you have to figure it out. For, for me, when I was at Bhavan, it was hard for the first week or two to really make sure that I blend in the, my practice into their life. The third, the third uh, base of success is called effort. I've talked about effort. Even other people have talked about initial effort, sustained effort, and non-stop effort. Don't give up with the practice. Don't give up with your practice, no matter what. You think that's a high standard? No, it's not. Just keep on going. These are tips, actually. Now you can use them, and also when you go home. Finally, the base of success is called Vimansa, which means reasoning power. Reasoning power, wisdom power, investiga investigating power. So you have to investigate between what is skillful and unskillful. What's, what's causing your suffering? In what's really causing your, your happiness? In other words, in business term, you have to have what you call SWOT analysis. SWOT analysis for your life. Again, this, I don't know whether I can finish that. Anyway, SWOT analysis, one stands for strength. What's your strength? The noble, the noble Eightfold Path, the 37 Factors of Enlightenment. And what's your weakness? Your weakness might be lack of time which is actually a universal mantra. Everybody say, I don't have time to practice. When they go home, oh, that's a good excuse. I don't have time to practice. Uh, they meet me, oh, you monks, you are very lucky. You monastic, you are very lucky. You have all time. Okay, you try it. <laughs> actually, the difference between monastics and lay people is that for us, we cannot excuse ourselves. Oh, you know, Bante Buddha Rakta has no time to practice. We cannot give that excuse. 
you can give that excuse. That's the only difference. Actually, our life is similar to you. Really, <laughs> our life is not different. I can tell you for sure. You don't know how we have also hectic schedules. We have to keep schedule. So, sort analysis. Try to find out your weakness. Maybe <laughs> time. If you lack time, that's a, a good sign of mismanagement of time. There's time for everything. There's time for everything. There's time to sow. There's time to reap. This is in a Bible. Actually, I was a Christian before. I know, and I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor here, but I'm telling you there's time for everything. <laughs> Try to figure out your opportunities. Your opportunities to practice meditation. You have threats. What are your threats? The five hindrances. My friends, time is up. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. That's it for I could go on and on. Thank you very much for your short analysis. <laughs> Let us sit for a moment or two. Atupamaya sabesam satanam suko kamato pasit Tua kamato meta sabbasate subhavaye. Having seen that all beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one methodically develops loving kindness for all beings. May you be successful in your practice and attain peace, happiness, and the final liberation. Thank you very much for your listening and your kindness until we meet. This is my last talk, by the way, in case you're not sure. No more. There's more where it came from. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.